What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name's John Kroom. If you haven't already, please make sure you hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, be sure to shoot me a message. Let me know. Uh, who knows? I might just send you something cool. Kyle got something cool last week. And Kyle, if you're listening, you know who you are. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to Gabe Shipley. I just And I, I hope I'm saying your last name right, but I just met him on uh, on a groove ride. We, we got the ride bikes together and uh you know uh he asked me my name and he was like oh dude i listen to your podcast so man i appreciate that guys if you listen to my podcast and you run into me out in the open the easiest way to make my day is just letting me know that you listen to the podcast like sometimes i feel like i'm just talking to myself and (laughs) and it's okay um but uh but anyways that's enough of me like trying to look for an ego boost uh let's go ahead and dive into this week's episode with micah rice micah rice is uh, I actually look up to this guy. I got him onto the podcast because solely like I'm so intrigued by what he does. He's been running events for ages, man. I mean, he worked with Athen Twilight way, way back in the day, all the way to now working with SBT Gravel and the Apex, which is also another podcast that I'm a part of. Um, and so that's how I was lucky enough to get him on the podcast. But literally, he's worked with USA Cycling as the national events director. So like he knows a thing or two about putting an event on. And I just thought, ah, oh, what the hell? Let's get him on. Let's chat. And uh, figure out what it's like to be a race promoter in these times. Uh, it's probably not that easy, but uh, he's pretty much ran an event in pretty much everything. I think he, he even ran an, like an e-bike event. But anyways, we talk about that in this podcast, but uh, enough of me rambling. Let's go ahead and dive into this week's sponsors. Guys, we have three sponsors this week, which is pretty freaking sick. Uh, two of them are brand new. Uh, two of them, I think, have been sponsoring the podcast um, network for a while. But anyways, darn tough is, uh, you know, they make some of the best quality socks for any activity, not just skiing or riding. And honestly, I think Adam Jabber is trying to wear socks, like the same pair of socks to raise money and they're darn tough socks for the next like 50 days. And so we'll put a link of that in the description below so you can go donate. It's all for charity. It's not just for smelly feet, but, uh, hopefully these darn tough socks will protect his feet. They also make socks for hiking that give back to the PCT, uh, the ATC and the CD. CDT. Um, and they got new limited edition colorways available at darntuff.com. You can only find those at darntuff.com slash collections slash online dash only, which will also be linked in the description below. But again, DTV, uh, darn tough socks makes some lightweight and no show style socks with Merino wool. Contrary to popular belief, they will keep your feet feeling cool and wick the moisture away and also resist the odor that all the spring and summer tend to bring in. So go check them out at darntuff.com. That's darntuff.com or go check out the link in the description below. Also back for another episode of Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Brewing. Um, like I said, some of my favorite beers uh, known to man. Um, and yeah, I can't I can't get enough of this hazy IPA, which I'm currently sipping on and enjoying. Uh, so be sure to go check them out at Sierra Nevada Brewing dot com that's here nevada.com uh you can go uh and pick up your little things pack today which is filled with the hazy little thing the big little thing um i think it's like the sweet little thing it's all kinds of good beers bro so go check them out um that's sierra nevada new sponsor for this podcast is drink simply guys this is a ultra hydrating plant-powered water from maple trees no added sugars or sweeteners Half of the sugar as is coconut water. It's great tasting, better than coconut water, super refreshing. Also, it's a great hangover cure. Sustainable not only for packaging in its eco-friendly carton, but the business of maple water preserves North American forests, which migrate in climate change and provide clean air and preserve critical habitats for thousands of wildlife species. So guys, please go check out Drink Simply at drinksimply.com. You can use code OUTOFBOUNDS to get 15% off. We'll put a link down in the description below. That's code OUTOFBOUNDS for 15% off your Drink Simply order today. But enough of the sponsors. Let's dive into this week's episode with Micah Rice. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Van Chats on the Out of Collective Network. My name is John Kroom, and I'm sitting here with Micah Rice. Micah Rice has 
a crazy background. Like we were just going over it before we hit the record button. And honestly, like, I don't even know where to get started, but the current events that he's running right now is SBT gravel and the Pikes Peak Apex, which are probably one of the biggest mountain bike races is definitely in Colorado Springs. Um, and then probably in, in the U S right now, as far as like stage races and competitive races go. Um, and then, uh, SBT gravel, which is one of the biggest gravel races in the country as well. So anyways, Micah, how you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great. Good to see you, John. Thanks for having me on. No, yeah, I'm stoked to have you on. And we, you know, I, I've, I've seen you in passing. I've heard your name and it, it makes so much more sense how I've heard your name so many times, because when you were just giving me the breakdown all the way to you being a part of Athens Twilight, which is probably predates me even getting into cycling. But, you know, Athens Twilight is probably one of the biggest criteriums in the country. Um, let's yeah. just get started with talking about who you are. Like, we never really get to see the face behind the races. And like, like I've had I've had the guys from BWR on um, and in uh, some guys from Lifetime. And so we've we've always brought these people on just so we can see the face behind the event. So let's get started with who's Micah Rice and what's the background? Like, how do you even find yourself into the sport of two wheels and cycling in general? Yeah, no, it's uh, I've been in the sport a long time, so it probably goes back to my days in high school when I met this guy, who was a um, he was a bike messenger in New York, and we and uh, you know he rode a fixed gear, no brakes, you know track bike running around New York City delivering packages, and I was just like, that is the coolest thing ever, and I was an impressionable teenager at the time, so I decided I needed to get a bike, so. Um, you know, rode a little bit, had fun kind of my later high school years. And I started going to University of Georgia uh, in Athens, Georgia, and um, uh, hooked up with uh, with the cycling club there. So actually kind of my start in in cycling was uh, collegiate racing, um, race a number of years there at, at University of Georgia. Uh, I graduated with a degree to teach high school English, interestingly enough. Oh, wow. OK. Um, yeah. So uh I figured I'd be an English teacher, um, but then I graduated from college and I was just like, man, I, this bike racing thing's pretty fun. I can teach yeah. 40, right? So yeah. let's, uh, you know, I think a lot of us probably get to that point at some point where we're like, oh, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to take a shot at this and see, see what I can do. So well, it's, well, it's funny. Cause there's so many bike racers. I was having this conversation with my wife the other day. My wife just got into marketing. She's a teacher mm -hmm. as well. And she's yeah. like, I have no experience. And I'm like, I want to be like, 98% of the people I feel like in marketing don't have experience and they, all their experience is just from learning and hustling. Like it's yeah. insane to me. So, but yeah, yeah you just kind of have sure. to, you just kind of have to chomp with a bit for sure. Fake it till the, till you make it. That's what it <laughs> right? Just kind of jump in. And yeah. It's either going to work. It's either going to work or it doesn't. If it doesn't work, <laughs> yeah. you can figure something else out. Maybe you can be a doctor. You can fake that until you make it too. Sure. Right? Sure. I'm sure that's going to be just smooth cruising straight through. But yeah. So you said you were just going to give it a shot. Yeah, you know, I just decided I'm gonna I'm gonna try to race bikes, and um, so I took a I took a part time job um, working on the Athens Twilight Criterium, which you mentioned. I, you know, I was in Athens. Um, it was the first bike race I ever saw. So when I was 13 years old, I went and saw the Athens Twilight Criterium. And anyone that that knows something and has actually been to the Athens Twilight Criterium understands. I mean, there it, it's it unreal. is, and I can it is a beast unto itself. And when's the last time you've been to Athens? Well, I've been to Athens. I've I've like zipped over there and done some no. some group rides and stuff. Yeah, but, but when's the last Twilight? Oh, yeah, it's been twelve years since and see, I've been to Twilight. And the reason why I asked that is because like, and and we'll dive into this in a, in a little bit because I'm curious to pick your brain on this, especially now knowing that you've been a part of the crit scene, you've been a part of this event managing scene. But dude, you were a part of the crit stuff, like when you know Jeff Pierce lapped the field. I and, was there. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, like you know I, what I mean. I and so like. And so like, to yeah. me, like that's, it's wild to me, like Novant health, like you probably know Thad Fisher, like if you sure. know, if you, know you're from that area. Well. so like yeah. Novant health, that was like a $45,000 prize purse. And they're like coming out with the, the whole lion's den, the Legion crit. And people are like, oh, this is the biggest money crit that's ever existed. And then you, you have like, you know, Thad Fisher, th this is why we do these podcasts, by the way, is to bring these people on to say, mm -hmm. like, these are the people behind the scenes, you know, before there was actually like YouTube media. Like this guy put on like a $50,000 crit. And so I'm curious. And, you know, I was hoping that you'd been there in the last five years. I'm wondering what, what, the, because the crowds are insane. There's nothing that matches an Athens twilight, um, at least on the East coast. There's nothing that matches an Athens twilight um, anywhere else. So yeah, but 
anyways, diving yeah. into that. So sorry no, to go I, off the rocker on that. No, one. that's good. See, I saw that race in first year in 1986 and Holy I was 13 cow. years old. And I was like, man, I want to do that. That <laughs> is so awesome. And so it took me 10 years, but in 1996, I lined up to on the line in the pro race, at, wow. you know, so it took me 10 years to see it and then get to the, to the, um, to the, and pro. was it, was it still like five, 10 people, like just deep, like oh, rows I mean, of people? It was just nuts. 30,000 people. Yeah. I mean, it was the heyday. Those nine, the nineties of the twilight was, was the heyday of, of, you know, and it, and when I started really racing, um, you know, it was the Saturn and Mercury trains that was oh, just wow. driving the whole thing. And we were just hanging on to, for dear life to pick up the, the scraps at that point. But, uh, but I found a part-time job kind of working on that criterium. And, um, and I raced for a UCI team sponsored by Zaxby's chicken fingers. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar. 2000, 2001, uh, those, those two years, which if you uh, don't know what Zaxby's is, because you know, we're, we're East coast guys, I'm South Carolina, yeah. you're, you're Georgia. We yeah, know Zaxby's. Yeah. It's a sure. uh, way better raisin canes. Right. It's I like, might yeah, I'm, I might get shunned for that, but to me, oh, I think it's that's, that's I think it's so fact. much better. Yeah. And yeah, so it's good. so much better than raising serves the same thing, except they'll roll your chicken tenders for you. <laughs> well, and, and they and they have salads. Yeah, and salads. Yeah, so because they don't have that at Canes. It can be somewhat healthier, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you raise uh, for UCI pro team. So so then I, I kind of did that for two years and and kind of came to the conclusion that um uh I was good but I wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have to tell you this, John, to really make it as a, a, a real athlete that's going to get paid. <laughs> you yeah. have to be great. You can't just be good. Yeah. So um, I decided if I was going to stay in the sport, I needed to do something slightly different. So that's when I got this brilliant idea that I was very sure that I could do a better job at running a UCI pro team um, than the one I was just on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, youthful ignorance, let's call it. Well, that's um, funny because I literally did the same thing and we'll just dive into that. Another yeah. Time. Well, there you go. So, so then I, I jumped in, I, and I started my own uh, UCI men's team, uh, which was the Jittery Joe's cycling team. Okay. And uh, Jittery Joe's is a kind of a local coffee roaster based in Athens. They've got a bunch of cafes around the Southeast. And I remember, I remember uh, Jeff Hopkins. Yep, Jeff Hopkins was on yeah. the team. Uh, he joined us in year two, I think, in two thousand three. Uh, but we had some great riders on that team. Um, yeah. Even some riders that are are relevant today. Uh, you know, Jeff Kabush was on that team for wow. a, a while. Tim Johnson was on that team for a while. Um, you was know, Phil yeah. Guyman a part of that? No, Phil. What, no, he, no, that was Kenda. That's a five hour. I'm, I'm starting. I'm starting to get it all mixed together. No, but it's funny you say that because Phil was a was a Georgia guy and he wanted so bad to be on that team. And, yeah. um, in fact, I, in his first book, I was in his first book. I made it into his first book as a yeah. mention of, you know, the pro team director who you, you were know, the asshole. Director. I wasn't good enough. You were, you were, you were the, yeah. you were the villain. Of Phil he didn't, name me. He didn't name me, but, <laughs> but there was, there, the, I remember, uh, you know, he was just like took a, a page and a half to just smack me around a little bit. I just hope I get book. I just hope I get your resume one day. Like, today, <laughs> just like you send me a resume and I'm looking down. And it's like I was in Phil Guyman's book unmentioned. <laughs> I know. That's, there you go. So, so but um, no, Phil and I have obviously are good friends. Now yeah, yeah. And we text back and forth on stuff. But um, but, uh, you know, we so we had a lot of um, pretty well-known writers. And then in the last three years of that seven years running that team, uh, I also had a women's team sponsored by Aaron's Corporate Furnishings, and yeah. my women's team was actually better than my men's team in terms of results. You know, so we were domestic uh, professional teams for you know. I spent seven years working on those, and and then we kind of hit 2008, and that's uh, you know a little bit of a recession there in 08. So a lot of brands were kind of pulling back sponsorships at that time, um, and kind of, and so I kind of decided I. You know, it didn't make a lot of sense to keep keep doing this. I could maybe make it work, combine the teams. Maybe I didn't have a good thing, but um, that's kind of when USA Cycling came and knocking on my door. They were looking for a new uh, national events director. So, yeah. so what they saw was they they saw my background as a racer, my background, you know, helping out, you know, helping run the Twilight Criterium. Um, 
you know, seven years running teams have been to a lot of events and they were kind of looking to rebrand the national championship events. And so I, so in 09, I moved my whole family to Colorado Springs yeah. and kind of took the reins running the, the national events department for USA cycling. Yeah. So, and then I, you know, I, I so all of a sudden, you know, I'm overseeing a team that sees overseas 17 national championships a year organizing the calendars um i i spent uh, well it's a whole nother story we won't get into it but i was the race director for the um for the 2012 cyclocross world championships in louisville and oh, wow. oversaw that whole thing um with lots of help obviously uh yeah, but, yeah. Um, but but that was quite an experience kind of thrown into that um and uh, you know, obviously helping out with Olympic trials with BMX. Um, I, I knew road pretty well. I knew mountain bike a little bit. Didn't know track very well. Didn't know cyclocross very well. Had no idea on BMX. So that was a huge. Well, BMX, part. and you know, just to like kind of clear some things up, BMX is that kind of like, um, isn't that their own organization? And we just satellite them for you know, it's the Olympics. Funny. People that not a lot of people understand that. Um, so USA BMX, while they kind of bill themselves as an MGV, they're not. They're actually an event promoting company. Uh, they kind of own and operate all of these tracks uh, all over the country. And they're basically race event organizers. Um, the national governing body for BMX is USA Cycling. Yeah. So... Uh, we worked very closely with USA BMX and have good relations. Um, but uh, they're really an event promotion company. Uh, yeah. And then you, and then we still had to, you know, work back and forth with the UCI and work on Olympic trials. And, you know, we would pay them to run big art, some of these big events, but um, they were not the national governing body and still. To wow. And so that's, that's interesting because it always, you know, cause people are always really quick to, be like, oh, USA BMX obviously has it dialed. You well, know, they like, do, and they it, do. And it's, they it, it's actually, it's actually it insane. Like, I think it's like if you pay for a license, like it's like free racing for the year. Like, in there's some, it's not, it's like you buy the license and that's your, that's your entry fees. And yeah, some, they, they, some of that, some of that's true on your local, on your local tracks. But when you start doing the BMX nationals, you do pay the entry for fees sure, for, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Ones. But I mean, they will they'll plow just thousands of people through those gates, you know, in a which day. is insane. But and, I mean, and, and, yeah, there's dropping gate. I mean, they're dropping gates every 10 seconds, you know, eight at a time. And they just do that all day. It's nuts. But it's probably a little different than trying to close down a four corner crit in a downtown. Yeah, no, it's when you're trying to do. Yeah. yeah, it's much more like a velodrome. It's all enclosed. It's all yeah. Enclosed. But even velodrome, man, I mean, like, Frick, it's you know a hundred dollars, you know, just to I mean in T Town this past UCI block, it was a hundred dollars a day to yeah. race. And yeah. it's like it's insane. Yep. Well three hundred dollars to the UCI license. It's just all this stuff, you know. It's different when you got thousands of people uh racing each day. You don't have to charge as much and you still make a, a buttload of money. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But you know, the same could be said you have a thousand people racing every day because it doesn't cost you know what I mean? It like yeah, costs like like yeah. if you're, for example, if you're going to a brewery, there's a select group of people that are going to come to a brewery. If you're selling dollar Miller High Life's or dollar Coors, you're going to have a select clientele and a, and a, a way more people showing up. Yeah. It's just like Starbucks, man. Starbucks has yeah. a line out the door. You walk into a switchback where the coffee's $5 or whatever. Switchback is a coffee place here in, in the Springs. But you get, yeah. what, I, you get where I'm getting yeah. at oh, yeah. with this. But it's, yeah. it's interesting. So Different. anyways... Pro forma for sure. So you're your VP. So you're you were were you VP of events or do you came as the yeah. national event director or were you right away or how did that work? I started out as national event director and kind of slowly moved up within the organization. And um, the last several years I was uh, VP of national events, which would put me kind of a as a senior executive at USA Cycling, which gave me kind of a little bit more a little more uh you know, decision-making process within the whole company at that point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was great. Uh, you know, I, I learned so much and made so many contacts and, but eventually 
I decided I need to move on. I mean, eight eight years at the national governing body is a pretty good pull. And yeah. It's a pretty stressful job. There's a lot of stuff going on, and um, you know, it's a it's tough to work for the national governing body. It's kind of like working like a staff in the at the White House or something. I mean, just yeah. everyone's just coming at you with everything, and there's it's always you, your fault too. Right? It's always your fault. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like uh, everyone kind of has their own vision on what USA Cycling should be doing. <laughs> yeah. No, I had this conversation. It's funny. You yeah. that. I had this conversation with Jim Miller the other day. It's like, right. You know, everybody wants right. to complain about something, but they don't want to come and help. And I, and, and honestly, yeah. I do think that's true. It's, it's funny to me, like, you know, how people, you know, with bike racing, you know, people get pissed that there's no racing and then they don't come to the race when there's no racing. And then, People yeah. are like, well, we can't keep these racings going. And then everybody's upset. And that that's Rock Hill. The city of Rock Hill is dealing with that right now with their velodrome. But yeah, it's insane. Yeah, no, you know, for sure. Uh, and, yeah, Rock Hill made a big investment in their velodrome and their BMX track. Well, their yeah. BMX is killing it. Um, yeah, at least that's going good. Mike King does a good job up there. Yeah, he's the man. But, uh, but yeah, it's hard. Velodromes are hard. Uh, I remember a lot of people coming to me asking, what can we do? What do we need to do to get a velodrome in? And I just said, listen. Do you need to take a hard look at why you're doing it? Because was that your job? I thought uh, your job was just sometimes. more or less sometimes. Oh, okay. So you sometimes not only were you like putting national events on, but you were also helping people figure out where to put these venues. We would do a lot of support to race directors who are running national level events. So whether that be um, UCI road events that maybe Metalist Sports was were putting on, whether those be um you know, UCI level mountain bike races like Scott Tedrow out in California would put on people like that. Um, you know, Thad, obviously we are working with Thad on, on a number of things, including, you know, some racing on that velodrome and things like that. So we get a lot of cities and people like asking, you know, Hey, how do we get this done? How do we do it? And it's a really, it, it there is very little return in the end. People think if you build a velodrome, then all of a sudden they're just going to get thousands of people coming to ride on it yeah. you know from out of town and spend build it and they will come <laughs> and it's yeah. like oh man if you, you know if you want to there's very few velodromes that have truly seen a return and have been able to stay above water without you know some some local funding from an organization that doesn't care about the return you know look at t-town something like that like that's worked uh they put a lot of time and effort into you know, a lot of local programming as well that, you know, some money is picked up and they've got a good sponsor that, you know, they've been able to kind of keep that going, but that's not, it's not easy to, to get a return on a velodrome. It's very but I think, hard. I think where they're gaining their return is one of two things. You have it in the middle of bumfuck. It's just like in the middle of nowhere, yeah, man. Yeah, and yeah. so it's just Alan, like, Alan, where Alan. else are you going to go? I mean, there was people that don't, I mean, the same people that were probably yelling at me on the road would come and cheer for me on Friday night because they're just so pumped about bike racing and they yeah. loved bike racing. Um, but, but what I'm getting at is, but on top of that too, is they would fly people in from all over the world. Like some of the world champions, some of the best bike racers in the world. Like you yeah. start, like, for example, like, you know, you start looking at Athens twilight. The reason why Athens twilight would get so deep is not only because the frat guys and sorority girls would make a party of it because it's in the heart of Athens, where it's university of Georgia mm -hmm. is you would have the best bike racers in the country, if not the world mm -hmm. come. Yeah. And they Georgia. figured out the spectator piece on that, right? Yeah. How many velodromes have truly figured out the spectator piece? Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's it, tough. And, and so, and then, you know, I think it's like if, and you will know the answer to this. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but right. isn't that where Athens is? Don't they have like the most bars per, I've, you, you know, I've, this answer, you know, where yeah, I'm getting the most at bars per capita. Yeah, it's like, and so it's, true. it's, it's yeah. literally one big party, man. It is a, it is a massive party. All the bars like get to like kind of fence off and extend into the road in the parking spaces in front of them. So they, they, they make, it, it, it's like, it, it's like choose your bar and you can sit there all night and just drink and scream as yeah, and people they, roll through. And literally, cause like the next day, I don't know if they did this back like when you were racing or running it, cause it used to like Athens used to be a standalone, but then I think Thad kind of came in and helped kind of 
bring Gene and all those guys in and put it into Speed Week. And and it was Gene actually did that. Gene Dixon actually okay. organized that piece. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he built something with USA Crits that I, I actually thought was pretty good in terms of something that was truly built by the private sector. Yeah, um, but back then, like, did, did they have a race the next day or was it like Athens and over? Uh, it, it went back and forth. Sometimes there was um, the Twilight would move to another venue for a mountain bike event. We did that a few Sundays. Sometimes it would go into Atlanta and we'd run, you know, an event in Atlanta on Sunday. But all these teams are so wiped because you race until like 1030 at night. Well, that's and what I was about to say. We would wake up at like 730 in the morning. Yeah. And people were just leaving the bars. And oh, we're, yeah. We're on the way to commerce because we have to race at yeah. noon because it's a Sunday crit. But there was a while where, you know, like Speed Week and it's Speed Week still happens. And so we would race in like Spartanburg and Greenville. And then there was a couple more spots in Georgia and people would come in for a whole week and it would kind of culminate with that Saturday night race for the for the men and women in downtown Athens. And and often that would be it. Often that would be the end of end of the week because everyone would stay up till like two o'clock drinking anyway. So it was kind of the end of the end of that time. Yeah, no, it was wild. So. I guess so we find you as like you know the vp of you know working with usa cycling you know this stuff it is a hard job i mean anybody that works at usa cycling I, and you know i've even given these guys hard times but when i went out and started my own uci team you know i was coming off of working with usa cycling and i had to work 10 people's jobs that everybody i would always be like what does that guy do and i i quickly figured out what that guy did when i started my own team mm -hmm. and so um when you leave there, you do hot route. Is that how it works, or? Yeah, I went to work for um, for Oatroot, and and Oatroot was very interested at that time to come into North America and start building up events. They were kind of in expansion mode, um, and that's a whole probably an hour podcast on its own on how all that went down. So just to give you the brief version. Um, the organization that oversaw them at that point, OC Sport, and the organization that owned OC Sport, which is a larger conglomerate um, out of Europe, they were interested in expanding into as many um, countries and cities as possible. So I we built um, uh, three or four oat routes right out of the gate. They had done oat root Rockies, which was a seven-day um, event. And oat root, just for all of you that probably don't, hadn't heard that, is is um it's based in in uh it was it was based in europe and the idea was to do one week and basically pluck the hardest week out of the tour de france and let amateur riders ride it as a seven-day grand fondo wow so they would basically say okay full tour de france level kind of climbing um and we're just gonna kind of take seven days in the alps oat root alps and it was um, super, you know, super difficult uh, riding every day, just back to back to back. Um, some of you might remember the name Oatroot from the movie Icarus, yeah. where uh, the guy decided he was going to try to dope for uh, Oatroot to see how he did, and he didn't do very well. But um, but that was he chose that event because it's really considered kind of that hardest seven days that amateur rider can do. Yeah. And so very popular in Europe and would often fill up Oat Root Alps, Oat Root Pyrenees. They did one of the Dolomites. They wanted to expand. They went to the Rockies. And then we started building three-day events. We did one in Asheville. We did one in San Francisco. Um, and then we did kind of a smaller, a smaller version of one in Cedar City, uh, Utah as well that year. And so my, my job was to start kind of uh, kind of build a headquarters in in the U.S. and start working on um, oat root events in the U.S. We also bought the um, Grand Fondo National Championships as yeah. well, so we had that as kind of one-day events, and so we're building that portfolio. Um, in the end, uh, the larger group got cold feet; they wanted to pull back. Um, I ended. I I saw kind of what was happening. They didn't really want to. They really wanted to try to do business as usual in the United States the same way they had been doing in Europe. And we all know um, European bike racing does not equate to American bike racing uh, yeah. extremely well. Uh, and I, so I finished up my contract with them, but decided to move on um, to, to something different. 
And, um, and so I left after about a year and a half approximately, um, which was, which was my contract. So I finished that out the end of December in, um, 2018. And then in 2019, kind of started working on projects on my own, uh, and with, um, a sports tourism consulting group called sports strategies. I started yeah. working for them. So I did a lot of consulting with cities on events and, and sports tourism assets. That's when the Pikes Peak Apex actually started to, to come around. Um, a group of business people here in Colorado Springs decided they wanted to kind of do a large scale mountain bike event. Um, originally they thought they wanted to actually partner with Ironman to build, uh, build that. Ironman in the end kind of turned down that, that proposal. And so um, I was asked to kind of come in and, and, and work with, you know, with sports strategies to build the Pikes Peak Apex. And so that's what we started working on at the end of 2019. Um, and we, we, it was great. We did a great announcement in November of 2019. We had already brought RockShox aboard as our presenting sponsor before the announcement. Um, and it was going really well. And then we kind of know what happened in March of 2020. Yeah. Started getting a little rough, uh, for events. Um, but I was, I was, I was pretty psyched though, that we actually pulled off an event in 2020. So yeah. a lot of events just canceled. We kind of pushed through, we were one of the very few, uh, mountain bike events that the pros even had to race. We put out a $25,000 prize list. And the, the pros showed because there was nothing else to race. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of how the start of the apex went was, a, which was a pretty, pretty tough, uh, first year. Yeah, no. And it, to still have a $25,000 prize person COVID like, and not having sponsors pool, it's not like everybody had a pandemic clause. I remember like in the beginning of COVID, like people were like, oh, you didn't have a pandemic clause in like certain events. And you're just like, what? Yeah. pandemic clause but supposedly like th those are things that's a thing in certain people, contracts people had them. we we worked really close with all of our sponsors honestly i can tell you for a fact that sram uh, and rock shocks uh they really kind of went silent on us for a while yeah. um but and they they canceled every single event sponsorship they had that year except ours wow they decided Shout out that sram they were like really taking a hard look at all of these events, but they decided we had it. And we knew that we had support from the city. Uh, we, they knew that we had riders coming. None of our sponsors dropped out, not one. We kept every single sponsor we had at that time. And we had some good ones. We had Asos, we had, um, you know, Subaru through uh, Huberger, still, yeah. still have them. Uh, RockShox just resigned for another couple of years. Uh, so, uh, we've, we've, um, we've had some very good sponsors that have taken really good care of us. Yeah. And so what, like, and I guess, you know, I think the big thing is with those, with the sponsors was mainly just cause you know, people were, it was a weird, it was a weird time because people were try also trying to, there was like a precedent around going to events. Like if you went to an event, you were almost seen as kind of like, what are you doing, man? Like, yeah. you're just like, yeah, there's some shaming involved for sure. Yeah, and so like even keeping events on was almost a shame. But like I think um, you guys kind of hit the luck of the draw, being closer towards the end of. Yeah, of, we of had some time. We had, yeah. and we we had a 25 page document on COVID protocol that we built, yeah. and when we built it in in conjunction with Michael Rashan, Dr. Michael Rashan, who's also the um, the chief medical officer for USA Cycling at that time. Um, uh, and a lot of information that we got from, from other groups. And we, you know, we had a protocol of, you know, taking temperatures every morning, small group waves, uh, masks until you got to the start line. Um, you know, looking back on it, you know, we were probably being overly cautious, know what we know about, you know, COVID in the outdoor, um, air, but, uh, but, but you had to be like, you, you, had, you had to be. You and part of it was perception, right? It yeah. wasn't just like reality of the virus. It was, it was perception on, on how many steps you were taking to be careful. And those are the things that, that is that 25 page document with, with, with super tight protocol. Um, the first, you know, the first stage we did as a time trial, we could separate all out, keep everybody six feet away from each other, 
start every 30 seconds. You know, that was stage one. Um, yeah. And, and, and we ran a mountain bike time trial on stage one, which we weren't planning on doing. But now everyone got through that and there was like, that was awesome. So we're keeping it. Now we're always going to do a mountain bike time trial to start with because we got, you know, it was just kind of like one of those um, happy mistakes that that people ended up really loving the format. But but it was, and I ended up sharing that 25 page document with all kinds of organizations, honestly, around the world. I had a guy from Japan ask me for, for that. Wow. And, you know, so we we were kind of leaders in that piece of really kind of, um, putting on paper in a document how to run. I had triathlons, you know, use it. I had races all around the country use it. So, um, so we were uh, we really worked hard to put on a bike race in 2020, and so we were we were pretty happy able to do it. No, and that's awesome, man. And so, and then that that happens, and so you find yourself also working SBT. Um, you know, we had. We had, you know, Mark was a good friend of mine and unfortunately passed away. Um, it was a race director and, you know, he was running that event. We had him on this podcast. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was a that was a big blow and a big loss um, and big shoes to fill. And so then you come through to SBT. Um, when, when did you start working over there? Yeah, so so you, so exactly right. Just kind of a timeline. I mean, Mark passed away. Um, in the summer of 2020. Uh, and um, I had actually um, heard such good things about the first year of the event in 2019. Heard it was just a, an extremely good event. Um, so when Mark passed away, then also um, Amy Charity, um, there was a third owner as well. And Amy Charity bought out that third owner. Yeah. And so, so Amy kind of ended up with that you know, kind of majority piece and, and kind of the controlling interest in that event and then opened up uh, registration for that event in December of 2020 for the 2021 race and sold out the 3000 spots in nine minutes exactly. and uh, immediately was like, holy cow. Now I got in about minute five and got myself a spot. Because uh, I'd heard such good things, I was like, "Well, the best way to go check out an event and how it runs." I go mean, do I'm, it. I, I'm always. I mean, I realize I've been I've been running events for a long time, but I'm always in learning mode, right? Well, I think it's I think that's what makes something people good at their jobs, right? Like it's yeah. you're you're constantly following the times, you're constantly learning. If you stay in your ways and you stay in this, I mean, it's just like bike racing. Back back then, for bike racing, for you, you realize that you weren't good enough, I guess, or you didn't have the results. Nowadays, man, you don't have to be good enough. If you do not, if you can take a video, you yeah. can shock yourself how long you can stay within this sport. But anyways, yeah. So you go try out the event. No, I was like, I, you know, so I got a spot and I was excited. So I actually, I, I didn't know Amy very well, but I knew her a little bit from the USA cycling days. You know, she had, she had been on team USA and raced overseas a little bit for, for one of Jim's programs. And, um, so I just sent her an email to said, Hey, I've heard such great things about your event. I I'm excited. I got a spot. This is in January, you know, and I said, I'm, I'm excited. I'll see you in, in August. Uh, looking forward to checking it out. Let me know if I can be of assistance with anything. And, uh, she immediately emailed me back and said, yes, can you get on the phone as soon as possible? <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So do we talk the next day? And she basically said, well, I just sold this event out in nine minutes and I, and I don't, and I just bought out my partner who had been in charge of operations. I need a race yeah. director. Uh, so, uh, so what's your first duty as a race director? What do you do in this point? Do you refund yourself <laughs> or do you, do you, you can't you know, take a, money away? That's an ongoing <laughs> joke. I never got a refund. Ooh. But what I do in the system is I keep rolling myself over as a deferral. Yeah, in case you just so, get in case you get the boot. So you so as back. soon as I get the boot, I have a number waiting for me, whatever year that is, that I can go actually race the event, which I originally planned on doing. So so wait, repeat that. So you literally you sign up for the event and you shot him. Yeah. Did you just shoot a message to Amy just on a LinkedIn? random email to her Gmail account? To her Gmail. And so you're just like, yeah. hey, congrats. And then yeah, I was like, This is awesome. I'm excited. I've heard such good things and Boom. Let me, know, let me know if I can help anything. All right. So you guys jump on the phone. What happens? How does this conversation well, I mean, go? Well, I think that what she, 
appreciated was a just my events background. Obviously, I'd yeah. you know, run a lot of high level events in my past. One of the best in the U.S. I mean, you literally ran it for the governing body. Yeah. 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 So and then and then second of all, I'd just been through this whole COVID protocol thing and helped build that COVID protocol plan. And, you know, January, I mean, what I, I, I the the COVID vaccine had just come out or was just about to come out. In, yeah, maybe. Yeah, in, yeah. In but that, 2021, which I mean, is it, funny that we're talking about that. But I think when it came out, though, like it was select few. It wasn't our right. it wasn't our cream of the crop that was getting, getting it in that months. Yeah. I mean, so but people were still saying people were still canceling events. People were still worried about that. And Amy was like, I am running this event in August. Yeah. And and she wanted somebody that had already run an event in COVID. And so yeah. that was the kind of probably what she liked the most. And she just said, we, you know, Hey, let's do this. And I had lost some of kind of that, you know, working for sports strategies and doing a lot of that sports tourism consulting had uh, a lot of budget slashed by cities and by, you know, CVBs and DMOs that were, that were kind of, you know, doing that, you know, needing that consulting. So I had, some kind of some time to fill and and um and some income to fill uh so it worked out really good in time for t timing with me at that point and so i jumped in at the in january and um and then we you know went straight into to august of 2021 which is the first time you know the second edition of the in-person event uh and then my first year running it Wow, man. And so, and so, yeah. And did it, and, and did you, was it your idea to move it to a lottery? Cause SBT is a lottery now, right? Because of how quick it was selling out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it wasn't really my decision. It was Amy's decision, uh, yeah. in the end, but, I, but I was, you know, we discussed it as a group and decided that was the way to go. That was what, you know, unbound and some of these other larger events were doing. Uh, but yeah, we turned at least, 2000 people away this year yeah uh, that did not get a spot and so wow. we'll, we'll end up again with with about 3000 uh on the line uh for that event which i which is a lot i mean yeah what is that what's the most people because i mean you've ran you've ran an event in probably every discipline except e-bike right or have you ran an e-bike event i don't think i've run an e-bike event now uh, SBT has an e-bike category, but Shit. Uh, all right, there you go. So, so last year that. I put that under my belt. Um, so okay. yeah, I've pretty much run an event in every discipline. I think that's I think and that's so, fair to say. And uh, so now that we're saying that freestyle BMX, freestyle not, BMX, I, that I, I was just leaving as that was coming on board. I was about to say that's pretty new. Um, so, but what like is gravel something like you've never seen before then? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I was pretty well versed after eight years at USA cycling. I was pretty well versed in the five disciplines. So you've got four Olympic dis disciplines, um, plus cyclocross. And I, I, I knew a good, I was pretty comfortable with all of those by that time, but gravel was like a sixth discipline for me. Yeah. And which is partly why I wanted to check it out and why yeah. I signed up. Cause I wanted to a little understand. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the operations elements are, very much like like road cycling right yeah. i mean if you if you really want to strip it down from an operation standpoint it's a road race on dirt roads uh okay. i mean and but but there's just all these little things that are different like the roads are open you know yeah. when you're running a road race you know you've got a peloton that you protect uh auto officials yeah you've got you know you're you know, on a, on a larger scale one, you, sometimes you have the yellow line rule, but on a larger road race, you know, you've got the Peloton that can use the entire road. You're pulling, you know, you, and you are rolling down this road in a bubble that is protected um, by a caravan. Now that's not true at all in gravel racing. Um, you know, obviously the, the speeds of vehicles are much fewer and there's, you know, much less, many fewer vehicles on the road. But that was one of the things that kind of boggled my mind in the beginning was like, oh my gosh, we are racing through this with oncoming cars. Like this yeah. is nuts. Um, yeah. And so it took me- And a they're while. big loops. Like they're yeah. huge, man. Like 144 miles, they're huge loops. And yeah. 
they're like you're talking about from the start line just to the last aid station is like 40 or 50 miles away right and so like you're literally staffing people at corners all over the place yeah i mean it's a massive massive staff and volunteer crew that takes uh that is out there on course on race day how many volunteers do you think you guys have on race 200 day? wow just volunteers yeah plus staff that's another 50 wow. uh so uh but it's it but but not all events do that right um, yeah yeah if you go to some of these there's like you're on your road for aid stations you know there aren't corner marshals and a lot of these don't even there's no signage like no nothing Right. Dude, I would love to see the liability insurance on. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, even, even unbound, you know, which I would argue is probably considered kind of the super bowl of gravel racing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of number one. Um, they don't do much course marshalling. They don't do much, really any signage. It's up to you to know the course and put it on your Wahoo or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's up to you to Especially kind for of, the 350, the big one. Yeah. It's up to you to, to, to send help to the feed area to like, you know, you know, they might do some neutral water, but you know, if you want food or bottles or any help with a, your bike, you know, you're, you've got to supply those people on your own. Yeah. SPT is very much different. We don't allow any outside support. So we actually make it so you can start with two bottles and a snack in your back pocket without a computer. And you can have a great day and 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 be fine all day because we supply you know water, drink, food. We have technical support at all the aid stations. We have medical support, roving and at the aid stations, um, fully signed. You're not going to miss a turn. There's tons of signage out there on where to go, uh, when, and we don't allow people to send support to the aid stations or or be in a vehicle and help out or anything. We we make it um, so that you kind of we, we're very participant focused. We I know, but I, I will all that stuff. I will say this, but because you guys have created those rules, you guys spark freaking controversy every year. Oh, of course. always there's always some headline of this person helped this person or this car was on the side helping this person. And you see those you see those things. And once in a while that happens. I mean, the, the whole thing that happened with with Lauren last year. Oh, yeah. You know, supposedly like she had, you know, men teammates like feeding her bottles all day and uh, which which, uh, which is not technically outside help, Micah. I don't I don't know if well, I disagree. I and I will and I will I will also argue that that um, it's not against the rules. It was well, like it if was you against the rules, if you no. hand me a bottle or if Lauren handed me a bottle, is that outside help? <laughs> Now it, it's it's completely legal within the rules that we yeah, set. Yeah, and so it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's there's always controversy. I mean, this is, I mean, gravel is a very new sport, and yeah. there's so the thing about gravel is that everything is different. You go to every event, and they there's always something different. It's not like there's this you know big fat rule book you know that the UCI you know hands all the race directors so that everything is all the same, and that's kind of the the beauty of gravel but it's also like a really difficult thing that gravel is grappling with right now yeah is that everyone at every event that you go to it's it's so different and the vibe is different and the rules are different um you know like for example we don't allow um arrow bars at, yeah at i had to take i had to take mine off events. I yeah. had to take mine off at the beginning of the race because I, I didn't I had no idea yeah. and, and I got yeah. made fun of. It's an odd rule. <laughs> it's an odd rule that that you know not most gravel events just allow whatever. And is that a safety to, thing or just to be different? Yeah, no, it's a safety thing. Um, yeah. Uh, it, you know what? And it, it's it gets nuts out there with you know you're talking about waves of a thousand people at a time. Well, it's also and a quick race just because you're at altitude. Like you're you're already going a little quicker. Yeah. Like I think I I literally did Leadville the day before, and I was like, I'm just gonna ride today, and I yeah. just rode, and I stopped at every aid station. I still averaged yeah. 20 miles an hour, and I yeah. think it's like it's, it's just a, it's just a quick day. Yeah, and it's and it's unlike a lot of these races, which um you know tend to spread out quickly. Steamboat really has kind of that. You know, it's it's a front group of a few hundred, and then it's still a group of a hundred, and then even halfway through, you could easily have a peloton of thirty 
the front. Well, I think, and, and I honestly think it's just because, like, how much faster can you go? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, how much faster can you go? And, like, it's yeah. just because you're you're at such a high altitude and everybody's kind of drafting with each other. Like, it's it's already a fast bike race. And, yeah. and it, like, Leadville is kind of the same way. It's, like, even on a mountain bike, like, it's a fast 100-mile day on a, on a mountain bike, just for, like, especially for what the conditions sure. are. Sure. Um, but anyways, I don't want to keep you all morning. We're getting close to the end. And I think we could, like, literally talk all day about, <laughs> like, what you do and what you've experienced. And honestly, this has been a cool experience for me just to, like, get on here and talk talk to you about some of these things because i'm super interested and super passionate about these things but anyways my last question for you and i ask everybody this and i wasn't going to prep you because i'm kind of interested to hear your answer oh, but if you could up. if you could have a cup of coffee with one individual dead or alive who would that person be and then how would you take your coffee and i'll give you a few seconds it's it's more or less <laughs> like uh, the reason why i just throw this on someone is because i feel like if you ever get this opportunity like they're gonna like you you have to answer quick man like the higher power is just gonna be like all right who do you want to you, you just pick your gambit you know that quickly huh that yeah yeah quickly. yeah you know um you know i'm a i'm a guy in the sports world uh I, so i think it would probably have to be um you know someone in that sports world that you know that interests me um probably someone from my era so you know, like, let me just, I'll throw out there the first thing I came up with, and that's uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. That's a good one. I would love to sit down. I would take my coffee. Just, I want it, uh, I want it brewed, uh, brewed coffee, strong, nothing added. Just, just, just sit down, sit down with him. sat down and, and chat with Michael Jordan. I'd be really interested. I mean, that guy was a, gr a groundbreaker. Uh, and, and it's been, it, it, uh, you know, obviously he's retired now and still alive. So maybe it's, a, maybe there's still a shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's always still a shot. We ran yeah. into uh, Dennis Rodman in, uh, orange County when we were shopping for groceries. So there you go. there's Not always an bad. opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> One person removed right there. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> Micah, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast and guys, if you haven't already checked out the Pikes Peak Apex, please make sure you do so. There'll be a link in the description below. It's open to everyone. They're also adding a run, which you can check out on August 9th. I also run their podcast. Um, on August 9th, we'll be releasing something with Jamil, which is like essentially releasing the entire Pikes Peak Apex run that they have on Sunday. So th literally there's an option for everyone. Um, and so anyways, guys, make sure you go check out the Pikes Peak Apex. SPT Gravel, we'll also put a link down in the description below. Um, there's probably still like some crazy competition that some one of the brands and one of the sponsors are going to be doing. Be on the lookout for that. That's how I ended up in Unbound like two years ago. And it was like one of the coolest things ever. So just be on the lookout for the cool, crazy contest. Other than that, We'll see you next time, guys. Cheers.